Hello, welcome. This is Dennis Sanders, and this is episode 134 of Church and Maine. Welcome to Church in Maine. This is the podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday, uh, March 13th, and the night before we had the Oscars. And there was an interesting fact about the Oscars last um, last night. Um one of the um, in the for the category for best supporting actress, um, one of the people who was uh, a nominee was uh, Angela Bassett. Um, um, she lost to Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, I've seen both of their performances, um, so they both were were great. Um, but she was she had a, a this was kind of historic in some ways because it was a. Um, Marvel film for Black Panther 2. And this was kind of the first time that someone, an actor in one of these type of movies from the Marvel um, universe um, was nominated for an Oscar. Um, That was kind of a big thing. Um, Like I said, she didn't win. She lost to Jamie Lee Curtis. But I think that that kind of shows the significance of um, movies and and the significance of comics in our culture. Um, now, a lot of people will look at comics and especially comic uh, movie uh, movies that are based on comic books and kind of not think much of them. But the thing is about com- the comics, whether it's uh, watching an animated feature or live action or reading the actual comic book, is that they all, in some ways, are made for their times, and they almost always talk about social issues. Um, the aforementioned Black Panther deals a lot with issues facing African Americans. Um, kind of one of my favorite movies that I've ever watched um, over the years was um, Captain America: uh, The Winter Soldier came out almost now 10 years ago, but it had a lot to do with kind of the surveillance state. Um, and all of that was in a movie about a comic book hero that is kind of made invincible, but there were a lot of issues that were there and that were present. And sometimes there is theology um, that is found in those Film uh, in those films or whatever type of media, um, in various ways, how we think about God can sometimes find itself in the comics. So today I'm going to be talking to uh, Drew McIntyre about this. Drew has been a guest here several times. <laughs> Usually we talk about more serious issues. We've talked about the future of his uh, United Methodist Church. He's a United Methodist minister. Um, We've talked in the past about COVID. Um, His wife is a doctor. So we've had some heavy-hitting issues. Um, And in this episode, we actually decided to be a little bit more light, but not necessarily frivolous. Um, This is actually an issue that is important. and how we kind of talk about all of these, all of these things that are going on in our culture somehow show up in these things that we, people may at first glance consider rather childish. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, for those of you who have not met uh, Drew before, he is the pastor of uh, United Methodist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, and it'll be an interesting discussion. He actually even at some point shares a little bit about a, 
a paper that he wrote uh, for a theological society uh, based on a comic book character. Don't think you can do that. Listen to the episode and you'll learn more. So with that, let's listen to this in, uh, really cool and I think fun interview with Drew McIntyre. Okay, Drew, it is good to see you back here again. This has to be probably number time number four. You're you're kind of up there with Frederick Schmidt and how many people times you've come up on the on the podcast. Uh, that's good company to be in because he's uh, much more significant <laughs> than I am. So uh, it's it's always a pleasure to uh, to talk with you, Dennis. And uh, thanks for thanks for having me. I think this time we'll be talking about stuff that's more fun. Uh, and enjoyable mm-hmm. to talk about and some of the stuff we've gotten to talk about before. Yeah, the, in the past has been rather heavy. So this, <laughs> yes. will, this will be fun. Yeah. And so, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, you did a, a, um, a class at your um, the local college that kind of talked about pop culture. Um, and basically, where does that relate to kind of with faith? Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that class is all about and why do you think it's important, especially that we have or know kind of where and see where faith issues are are kind of showing themselves in pop culture? Sure. Um, yeah, I do a little adjuncting at uh, Greensboro College, which is a local United Methodist affiliated uh, liberal arts college here in Greensboro, uh, where I primarily serve as a church pastor. Um, I've adjuncted there for a while, mostly teaching sort of uh, basic courses in Christian ethics. Um, but I had an opportunity to teach a, an upper level class that was also uh, cross listed as a master's course. There's a small MA in religion program there. And so I had a few master's students, a few upper level students, some majors. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I quite got to design the class myself. And I, I, I basically did it, kind of modeled it as a light, systematic theology uh, through the lens of pop culture. Uh, so mm-hmm. movies, television. And then uh, we read the, the main stuff we read was comic books, graphic novels. We um, we read one kind of main theology textbook. I supplemented that with some articles and things. And then we read um, several heavier, I would say, graphic novels uh, as the bulk of our reading. But uh, but it was neat. It I guess the case I would make for why it's significant. And it kind of goes back to what I often talk about in, in preaching is that there is um, whatever term you want to use. Um, the old Baptist term I learned, worldview. If you want to talk mm-hmm. about um, the, the social imaginary of Charles Taylor, uh, if you just want to talk about ideology or point of view, but the the art, whether it's pop culture, whether it's high culture, whether it's literature, movies, as you know, none of it is value neutral. None of it is ideologically or theologically neutral. And so I think being able um, to dig and figure out um, what what are the messages behind these, um, these things that we, that we enjoy. Why do things like Avengers Endgame resonate to the tune of billions of dollars? What is it? and, And as a Christian, I would say, uh, surely there's something in there that is true to the human experience that has resonance with what I believe to be the, you know, what Tolkien told C.S. Lewis about Christianity, the, the deepest myth or the true myth, right? In other words, if you believe that Christianity, the gospel is the greatest story ever told, then the, the popular stories we tell must have some resonances with that greatest story ever told. And I think teasing out those connections um, is fun. Uh, and also, you know, for me as a pastor, it helps me to connect with church members, especially um, youth and young adults that are very much in that pop culture world. Um, and to show that, you know, there there is a story behind these stories uh, that uh, that is true, that maybe has informed these these other stories uh, on some kind of basis. So from your own background, 
when did you kind of see that there was a connection between your faith and kind of what you were consuming in pop culture? That's a good question. You know, I, I have a bit of a fundamentalist background. And so I went to a fundamentalist school, but my parents weren't, were not fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. So what that meant was I, I didn't have to always abide by what I was taught <laughs> because certainly I was in the sort of circles that were, that would have, you know, questioned Harry Potter um, that were suspicious of anything that was magical and witchcraft comic books, not so much depending, you know, um, when I was in school was the era, you know, things like um, Tim Burton, Batman films, stuff like that. Um cartoons. I had friends that went to more conservative places and churches where like they weren't allowed to go to PG movies, you know, even stuff like that. Um, I, you know, I remember, well, I'll say like a lot of young readers or older readers. Now, one of the peaks of the comic industry in the nineties was the death and resurrection of Superman Mm storyline, right? It was a huge, huge seller for them. And that was what got me into comics as a young buyer, as a collector. Um, you know, just the fact that the villain in that story was named doomsday, right? There's, there's eschatology built into it. And then of course, following that there's, um, in that arc, there was a funeral. There was, um, stuff about heaven and hell and him trying to, you know, cross back over and, and all this, kind of death and resurrection motif. And of course, Superman is already um, a uh, kind of a a Christ allegory anyway, even before Mm -hmm. that. So maybe that was one of the first times I made some of those connections. Um, And we were talking off camera earlier about the X-Men series. There are definitely some um, religious stuff in those early X-Men animated series based on Mm -hmm. comic books. Uh, In particular, the, I think the God loves man kills storyline in which it's the, you know, the religious bigots that are, that want to see an end to this particular population um, in the comics and the TV shows mutants. You could bring that forward into our own time and it's sadly still relevant. Yes. Um, but the things like that, I would say were maybe the earliest resonances where I noticed that. And I'll say too, for me, I always just wanted my, I, I wanted my entertainment uh, secular <laughs> in the mm-hmm. sense that I, I, I was savvy enough to realize I didn't enjoy the, you know, Christian attempts to do their own pop culture. Um, I didn't like the left behind movies. I didn't, you know, just, I just want to watch movies. I just want to watch good movies, good cartoons. I want to listen to good music. Um, yeah. But that, that was part of it too. Was, I guess a more, uh, academic way of saying that is I didn't buy into the sort of evangelical subculture. Mm-hmm. I, I liked pop culture for pop culture's sake, um, separate from whatever theological value it might have. Yeah. You know, I think what is interesting when you think about someone like uh, C.S. Lewis with Narnia or Tolkien um, with um, now it's Lord of the Rings is that, those stories had some religious element to them, but they weren't, they weren't basically playing to a religious audience. They were made wide enough that anyone could enjoy it. Um, And it seems like when you kind of got into that evangelical subculture, the message kind of took over the medium and you could get some really bad stuff. Yes. Yeah. There's the classic, uh, the classic meme of uh, Hank Hill from over the hill where mm-hmm. um, or King of the hill where he's talking. I think they're at some kind of, I think it's where when Bobby gets into Christian rock and they're at some kind of Christian rock concert and I'm not necessarily against you know, Christian rock or whatever, but the, the classic meme is Hank is saying to the, the musician, you know, you're not making Christianity cooler. You're making rock music worse. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So I think one of the the questions, you know, right now the um in our culture we do see um you know maybe in the 90s when you were growing up um kind of things comic book characters things to that sense 
didn't have the same kind of place in pop culture that they do now. Um, and I'm kind of curious, why do you think that that we've kind of moved into a direction where it has such a large place in our culture? Um, and is that saying something about um, anything? Does it say anything spiritual about that? That's a good question. There is, there's different you know, reasons for, for all this. You know, when you think about um, film, you know, DC had more success early on with the Superman films. Um, and then with the, the Burton Batman, then it gets kind of campy. And then of course, lately it's been, you know, Marvel's been much more successful. Sony, X-Men, that kind of stuff too. We're all important. Spider-Man. Um, some of it's got to be nostalgia that there's a critical mass of, um, of people um, that are old enough now that resonate with that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm excited to be able to show my kids the stuff that was popular when I was a kid and as an adult and, and all that in terms of something spiritual, I think, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell was the guy that kind of mapped out the hero's journey uh, and, and all that. And I think there is this desire for heroics and and maybe as we've become more cynical as a culture and a lot of our post Vietnam uh, post um, Rodney King and too many things like Rodney King, maybe part of it is that many of the people that are supposed to be our real life heroes, people and associated institutions have less trust. Um, You can talk about, whether that's fair or not, it's a separate question, but uh, there's less trust in those institutions that produce, that have produced those heroes and icons for us. And maybe now we're drawn more to those fictional heroes because that, that hunger is still there for kind of, uh, to, to use a religious term, icons to look up mm-hmm. to. I think the celebrity obsession is, you know, is, is part of that as well. Um, both looking up to celebrities and now with the ubiquity of, you know, YouTube and things like this, where younger and younger kids want to be celebrities, irregardless of talent in many cases, just the desire just to be famous, not to not to produce some kind of excellence that makes gets you famous, but just to be famous. Um, yeah, I hope some of that made sense, but that, that, those are my initial thoughts. I'm curious what, there's certainly, you know, theological and spiritual themes in a lot of this stuff, for sure. Um, in terms of a, a larger spiritual hunger, in some ways, maybe these, you know, the, the, the comparison that's often made is that uh, DC is sort of the, the, the Greek and Roman pantheon. Marvel mm-hmm. tends to be more realistic, more street level heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could see both of those, the popularity of this, this desire for, the supernatural, this desire for uh, something larger to believe in. Um, and I think they've done a good job of capturing cultural climates. Like, you know, like the, for instance, the civil war movie, Captain America, civil war and the whole sort of mm-hmm. civil liberties debate between cap and iron man. That's very valuable resonances to our world today. So some of that I think is on the filmmakers and writers for making them very relevant to our, to our world. Now the, um, the Batman movies have done this really well. I was this, I don't know, this is a paper someone needs to write. Maybe it'll be me one day, but if you compare, for instance, the Pattinson, did you see the Pattinson Batman film? Yeah. Unfortunately I have not. It's, it's, it's definitely worth watching. Um, it's, it's, it's very dark, but good. But if you compare, say that you could also put Joker, the Joker movie in there. Did you see Mm -hmm. that? Nope, that one I have not seen. I, I'm I, just tearing down I'm your behind. I know, sorry. I know. I'm sorry. Um, but I've heard enough about it and kind of the interest. It does make me want to see it. It just because of the they they really make him more of a probably for lack of a better word sympathetic character. Yeah. In in how we get this this kind of the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if you, if you compare those, and then what, about a decade ago, we had The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. What, what those films have all done is, is in the villain, capture so much of the angst and issues in sort of contemporary American culture. So in, in The Dark Knight, it was the surveillance state. It was um, uh, terrorists with motivations we don't understand, kind of coming out of nowhere. You know, some men just want to watch the world burn. They don't care about money. They just want to create chaos. That felt very much like post 9-11 America. Mm-hmm. Um, if you skip to either the Joker or Pattinson's Batman, the villains uh, in those, it, it's more like social anarchy, chaos, distrust of social order, a desire to sort of tear down things. It brings in, especially in Batman or in, in, in the Pattinson Batman, the, um, the social media element, uh, the sort of, you know, basement dweller incels that want to shoot up. Like it's very, like it's too real. Mm. So I think part of it is they've done a great job of, you know, it's not the, um, you know, 1950s twirling mustache villain. They are using these classic mythologies, but infusing them with very contemporary and, and in some cases all too relevant um, stakes and, and and villains. Yes, it's a comic book world, but I mean, like Joker and Pattinson's Batman, both they're both excellent, but they're so real world to me that I've only watched them once. Mm. <laughs> like it's it's too, it's too close too, to home, too much, especially yeah. the times when those movies have come out. Joker in particular. Um, so I think that's that's part of it too, is they speak to our fears and our our the kind of the cultural malaise we're experiencing in the last ten to twenty years, also very much. Well, that's kind of an interesting thing to bring up because we, you know, we want to think a, a lot about the superheroes, but we don't always think about the villains and what they're saying. Um, and I think a lot about um, both of the Black Panther movies um, oh. with um, Killmonger and then also uh, Namor both had, um, they brought up a lot of those is- of issues, issues of racism um, you know, colonialism, all of those things that um, make them much more real yeah. and that they're not just kind of people you can easily dismiss. Um, yes. Even though you, their methods are, are still terrible. They're, you know, they are, they really basically are trying to really get you to think about what is driving these people. Oh yeah. How do you, how do you not be sympathetic to Killmonger? Exactly. Right. Yes, yeah. he's a monster, uh-huh. but he's also been very much robbed, right, yep. by the people he's. And I think the most successful comic book properties on film and TV streaming have done that sort of thing, where you contrast it with, like, say, the Wonder Woman eighty four, the Wonder Woman sequel. The villains in that really didn't speak to you know Cheetah, I, you know, didn't didn't do that as successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, even something like, and it was a more divi- you know, divisive film, Batman versus Superman, you know, uh, Zack Snyder, before he wrote that, clearly took like a um, philosophy of religion 101 stuff, uh, c- class, right? Because there's all sorts of, kind of classic theodicy questions uh, in there, you know, about uh, if God is all good uh, and there's evil in the world, God can't, you know, all that kind of stuff was, was in there too. Uh, so I think the big questions that our faith addresses, you'll find them all over these comic book properties in various media for sure. Mm. Yeah. You know, earlier you talked about, and we've both talked about X-Men, um, the animated series, which came out in the mid early to mid nineties. Um, it came out at an interesting time in my own life because I was um, in the process of coming out. Mm-hmm. And so the whole concept of the version of the the mutants really did line up with a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that whenever I see the X-Men, whether it's, it's in that version or the, the live action version, that's what I'm usually thinking about is a culture trying to deal with these people who are different and, and some people are embracing and some people aren't. Um, yeah. And as you said, unfortunately we're still dealing with that issue. Yeah. I think 
overall, as much as I think as you are, I'm I'm more of a DC um, reader and fan. I would say overall, but I, I read read both, appreciate both, and mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not a connoisseur in the sense that I know a lot of the independent stuff. I've just never gone that deep. Um, I'm pretty basic in my in my taste. I like Marvel and DC stuff, and you know the big heroes. Um, but they're definitely. What was I? I'm sorry, I'm losing. I lost my train of thoughts. I went into that. No, the um, sorry, Marvel has always been stronger. I think on social questions. Yes. Than, than DC. Um, going back to Stanley in the early days. I mean, de- dealing with addiction stuff, dealing with you know interracial relationships, mm-hmm. having a character called Black Panther. Um, in general, has been has been stronger, and, and X Men in particular have always been very intentionally. Uh, as you know, uh, uh, a symbol for the excluded, whoever that mm-hmm. is, you can sort of insert almost any groove in it and it works. Um, I went back and read the classic X-Men line recently, uh, God loves man kills that, that deals with this very explicitly. And I, I think, you know, it's, again, in terms of value, and I think this was significant for me as a kid, um, sort of like also like stand up comedy, I think does this, um, especially now in in our sort of suspicious age, no one likes to be hit over the head with messaging, right? Mm -hmm. If you know you're being sold something, you're just going to resist whether it's true or good or or not. I do think having, having some of that messaging in a comic book form, in a movie, in a TV show, uh, I, for me, stand up has been part of this. It, 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 for me, it definitely as a kid opened me up to some of those ideas um, that I, if it had just been presented to me directly, A, it may not have been right based on my social location and culture and all that. Mm-hmm. But B, it was also presented in a medium and a format that engaged my curiosity more than like demanded my assent, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of our communication about divisive stuff now, as you know, a lot of it boils down to, you must agree with this thing or you are a bad person, which doesn't convince anybody. Right. But if it's in a story, that's the kind of thing that can, that can get inside. Was it, um, who is it that said, tell, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Oh gosh. I, I know it's an Emily Dickinson. I think it, I think it may have been Dickinson. Yeah. But, but the, the idea there being, um, if you, if you, throw the truth in people's faces. They're just going to put their hands up. Mm -hmm. You tell it slant. If you, we do this in preaching, right? We tell stories. We make people think you don't tell, you don't get anywhere by telling people what to think. Mm -hmm. And I think any story, certainly comic books for kids can do some of that in in subtle ways that that open up minds and experiences. Um, You know, one of the things that I remember hearing growing up, is, um, or at least hearing of, not necessarily that I experienced this in my own life, but maybe your friends did, that always saw um, comic books as bad, that somehow, or even subversive. Um, and I believe that there were comic book codes back in the 50s and I think oh, 60s. Yeah. Um, what was it that made comic books so fearful and you know how how have we changed in as a culture when it comes to comic books? Because I think we're much more appreciative now than we were, say, sixty years ago. Yeah, I've read some of the the history. Even when I was collecting as a kid, you would see a stamp on your comics that said uh, "Approved by the Comics Code Authority," and that's something mm-hmm. that goes way way back. Um, it got a lot looser, but yeah, it used to be, I don't know. And I think part of it was kind of cold war frenzy. Uh, some of it was, you know, just the changing of America in a whole variety of ways. I want to say it started like in the thirties. And I want to say it was a medical doctor or psychiatrist. I can't remember his name. He was the one that was behind that was, that was convinced that comics were ruining kids' brains and, you know, making them antisocial and, and all that. And some of that, I think, is every generation, when something is new, whether it's a form of entertainment or a means of communication, uh, there are people that are going to 
going to vilify that. Um, the, the irony of that is all kinds of studies have shown that uh, kids who read comics tend to have much higher, uh, better vocabularies uh, than their uh, their compatriots who, who don't because, you know, comics are written by adults. And I, I know as a kid eating out comic books, I learned all sorts of words, maybe some I shouldn't have uh, from, from reading comics uh, that I would not have picked up um, in the, you know, the Hardy Boys or whatever that I was reading otherwise or uh, Fear Street novels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the, the, the cultural changes like in the sixties, that's when Marvel sorts of sort of takes over and uh, all that s- sort of shifts. Um, Marvel also did a better job of kind of riding the cultural wave of being more suspicious of authority stuff like that. By, by comparison, DC always looked kind of stodgy. So some of that division we're talking about has played out in uh, the dominant themes of the two major companies. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a long time for DC to, to, to catch up to some of those things. Um, I, I think it moved on to other stuff. I think it moved on to television, moved on to video games, moved on to internet, social media. Um, it's interesting to think about because I'm someone that I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of John Height, and I very much buy everything he says about how dangerous, you know, putting smartphones in kids' hands is. But I suspect it was a similar kind of thing 60 years ago with comic books, 80 mm-hmm. years ago with comic books, that kids have these, it's going to produce bad citizens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as you know, I mean, even going back to something like um, Kevin Smith movies, right? There's always, and when I collected as a kid, there was this, you know, sort of like the AV club, right? If you read comics, you were a nerd, you didn't have friends, you certainly didn't have, in my case, girlfriends. Um, there, was, there was some truth to some of that, to be honest with you. Uh, it was a subculture. I do think it's much more, than a um, lonely white kid thing, at least now, and it probably always has been. Um, oh, yeah. the, the store that I go to most frequently is, I think, the oldest continuing op- continuously operated comic store in the state. And mm. it, as of recently, is is owned by a black man. Um, uh, so it's definitely not a white uh, incel uh, hobby, uh, though that uh, stereotype has, has been there. Um, and even people that I happen to live with and love think it's silly that, you know, grown adult men read comics, but, uh, but I still enjoy it and sometimes write long papers about it and it's fun for me. So. Well, I kind of leaves a question of why do you think people think that way about comics? Because I think there is something exciting about comic books to me. Um, and and also because they tell a story. I mean, and they tell usually tell a story well. Um, you know, to, for me, it's always been like they are. It's something that looks like it's for kids, and in some ways it is, but but it has a double meaning. Yes, that I think is has also has that can appeal to adults. So. I guess personally, I always feel like people are kind of missing out or, or don't really know what they're talking about when they think that comics are childish. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, and certainly the origins, right, of kind of funny papers, comic strips, even the name comic implies, you know, something lighthearted. Um, and it's a medium that has developed over time. I mean, in the same way that video games have gone from, you know, Pong to something truly immersive with really impressive storytelling and, and all that. And I'm not a gamer. I just know that that's the development. Um, I think too, that the industry grew up with the fans, right? So mm-hmm. kids that were buying Superman comics in the, in the fifties for a nickel, when they become, you know, jaded adults, they want stories that reflect their jaded adult experience and, and that kind of stuff. So I think that's, that's part of it too. Um, you know, is there something in our culture about a, I don't know, an extended adolescence or refusal to grow up in, in some cases? Maybe. I, I don't see reading comics as any more or less childish than watching professional baseball or basketball, which are children's games played by adults uh, for millions of dollars. You know, I, uh, 
I think like anything else, um, you know, there are comics that are more geared towards kids or general audiences. There are comics that are more geared towards niche audiences and, and, and certain groups some that are that are more like high art and some that are more just kind of fun and, and whatever, you know, most Deadpool books, I haven't read a ton, but the Deadpool I've read, they're just sort of fun and silly. Uh, but there are also, you know, I've got some you know, here I can share. There's stuff like um, the other history of the DC universe uh, that I have my class read, which is very hard hitting, full of social commentary, um, uh, well-written, uh, you know, by, by people that are serious artists. Um, and maybe, you know, seeing it as an art form, right? Every art form is not for everyone. There are degrees of complexity and quality in, in all art. Um, but just because something is originates maybe as a more popular media uh, medium doesn't mean that it doesn't uh, contain value and contain depth. And one of the things I've found that I enjoy is finding some of the depth in these things and connecting them to theological or spiritual ideas. One of the things that I'm reminded of in about, especially with X-Men, is that one of their characters, and I'm hoping I remember, I think I'm remembering him correctly, is Nightcrawler, is overtly religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of curious, have you seen any other characters in comics that have been overtly religious and how they've been treated. And I think what, what was fascinating about Nightcrawler is that he wasn't made fun of because of his faith. Um, it, there was something kind of awesome to see a character being treated like, yeah, he's religious and that's okay. Um, and not like fearful um, in, as you would kind of expect in some ways. Yeah, and if, I, and I, if I remember that episode correctly, the I think the first one with him in the in the animated series from the '90s, by the end of that episode, he he night in, in, in church language, that whole episode, Nightcrawler is evangelizing Wolverine. I think yes, you are right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and and by the end of it, Wolverine is like praying in church and reading the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. it's maybe the most spiritual we ever see Logan in any you know uh, medium. Um. Yeah, that, that was done very well and taken very seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely an, an example. I, I know some of that's in the comics, but I, I don't know X-Men as well. I mean, certainly if you go with uh, super with DC and the, the big ones in DC, um, uh, historically, uh, this trajectory makes so much sense. Historically, Batman uh, was Episcopalian. Yes, I remember hearing right, that. Makes sense. Wealthy industrialist, mm-hmm. of course, he's Episcopalian. Now he's an atheist, which... The trajectory of a lot of Episcopalians is to become atheists, um, or you could say wealthy people to be more fair, perhaps. Um, Superman, by contrast, is a Kansas farm boy who's Methodist in the comics. Um, in I think in the in Man of Steel, he goes to a Methodist church. He definitely goes to a to a, to a church. The pastor has a collar on, so maybe a Catholic church, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think so. There's some clear, like really strong. Uh, uh, Christ images and that with the stained glass and all that. Those are, those are two big ones. I'm trying to think of there was, there was a recent, um, a more recent Batman run that I've read that deals with his atheism. And he talks about like pretty, in pretty strong terms, giving up on his faith to embrace this sort of, other character that he made. Um, it's an, it's the story is interestingly done. I'll have to give it to you for show notes. Cause I can't think of the exact issue, but he, it's a lot of psychology in that. And he talks about how he, he couldn't believe in God anymore, but he, now he believes in the Batman. Um, mm-hmm. He's saying this to people who don't know that he's Batman, Batman. Uh, but this has sort of become his, his religion um, for him. But you can also see him becoming an atheist because of what happened, you know, his, the death of his parents. Sure, sure. It, I mean, it fits with his character of, of you know, especially in the runs when it's, he's more by himself. He doesn't have kind of his, uh, his you know, bat family around him just to support him and kind of keep him in the light. I mean, yeah, he's, he's a very uh, dark and in, in many ways cynical character. Whereas, you know, obviously Clark's had a very different experience raised among different people still has mm-hmm. those, uh, you know, small town 
Midwestern values Midwestern associated values. with being more religious, of course, um, all that stuff. I think <laughs> other main characters that that are more religious, I'm sure they're out there. They're not coming to mind. I mean, Constantine deals a lot with supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually in the middle. I'm, I'm watching the Keanu Reeves version of that movie for the first time. It's out there. Um, and then I guess you've got characters that are explicitly supernatural, uh, the demon, Hellboy, things yeah. like that, that assume some sort of supernatural elements. Um, I think in in Marvel, there is something equivalent to a deity, like the one above all, I think it's sometimes referred to. That's basically the god of the Marvel universe. And in, in DC, Spectre is usually portrayed as some some sort of spirit of vengeance who works yeah. who works for God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you may know of others. Those are the ones that occur to me initially. I can't think of any others right now, but though for some reason I keep wanting to say that there was are some characters that I know are explicitly Jewish, but I yeah. it's not coming into mind right now. Yeah, well, I, I just did this paper on Moon Knight at a theology conference, and Mark Spector in the comics is the son of a rabbi. Okay. I don't know how, how much of a practicing uh, Jew he is. Um, but yeah, that would certainly be... Well, he, um, the writers of Superman were, were both Jewish. Both I think they're fairly yeah. secular. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do know you know, Magneto in the X-Men is, was a concentration camp survivor. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting in, in, you know, future iterations of Magneto. Enough time has passed. It's going to be hard to have someone that's old enough to have actually been in the Holocaust. So what is that updated version going to be? I'm really fascinated mm-hmm. to see what they do with that. They, that. They're going to have to change his origin somehow, most likely. I'm curious to see what that, what yeah. that might be. Yeah. So I think just kind of moving kind of a little bit to our, to science fiction actually. Um, And I know that those are, you know, both of those kind of deal with contemporary issues um, in different ways, but how would you say that science fiction or comic books may talk about those issues and maybe even talking about faith different than let's say a science science fiction star wars or star trek or and other series out there yeah and i'm definitely not as much of an expert on sci-fi as i am comics in terms of reading in particular I, my mom always read more than, than i did in the sci-fi world certainly i watched the uh, star wars stuff star trek stuff things like that enjoy the the movies and tv shows it does seem, I'm you know, curious what you think. It does seem like, especially when I mean, there are people like Isaac Asimov that were very, you know, forceful, kind of aggressive atheists. Um, stuff like Star Trek, you know, often envisions this sort of like post-racial, post-religious future. Mm-hmm. Uh, um now, Star Wars, very clearly, they're kind of a mix of Eastern and Western influences, Eastern in particular, um, with the, the Force and, and all that that sort of stuff, Space Wizards. Um, I did an, an Advent series at church one time based on Star Wars, because it lines up so easily, right? The... Uh, um, the you know, the, the Empire Strikes Back, the Return of the Jedi, the Force Awakens, you know, all of these are sort of, you know, Advent themes that connect to the, the coming of Christ and the, mm-hmm. uh, the rebellion, the, the, the disdain of the, the Empire against that, the, you know, rising from the grave and all that stuff. Um, it, it does seem that sci-fi has always imagined that religion is something that kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. It's always been uh, been my impre- uh, my impression. Um, so I don't think those themes are there as much. Um, but now, are you watching? Have you watched Mandalorian at all? I got my helmet back there. I've watched a little bit of it, but not a huge amount. But from what I have gathered, there is some aspects of faith in there. 
definitely, you know, the, his famous expression is this is the way mm-hmm. we would think about, you know, the early um, Christians referring to Christianity as the way um, there's a creed that he talks about the Mandalorian creed in episodes this season. He's talking about redemption and he's got to be washed in the special waters to be redeemed. So like mm-hmm. there's some kind of like game of Thrones. There's some very heavy stuff in, in Mandalorian uh, in particular. So um, cl- I think clearly playing on some classic religious uh, tropes from the uh, Judeo-Christian you know, tradition for sure. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things for me, um, being kind of the big Star Trek person, is it tends to be, I would say, somewhat more atheist, and not in the sense that there isn't a God, but they're kind of more in the sense that they don't really think about it as much. However, I thought it was interesting in the the 90s with the rise, they they did start talking a little bit more. And I don't know if this coincides with when Gene Roddenberry died or not. But, um, you know, on the one hand, you would hear more about the Bajorans, where these people that um, were very spiritual people that believed in, a, a, in deities um, that were out there. Um, and the Klingons, especially at that time period, you would um, hear more and more kind of spirituality. Um, mm. um, you know, their belief in Kalos, which is kind of the the figure that kind of made them who they are. And and so, or talking about what they would call Stogokor, which is their version of heaven. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So it, it's just kind of fascinating where, at least within um, Star Trek, that there is, has been some attempt in some ways about religion. Um, It's still kind of not at the same level. I think I I would see in comic books or um, even in star Wars, but um, it's just kind of fascinating. But like I said, I think it was fascinating that you heard more about it after um, Roddenberry's passing. Cause I know Roddenberry himself was, was very much an atheist. Yeah. That is interesting. One of the things I thought about recently, and this I guess sort of circles back to comic books and the films and stuff. I, do you do you watch like the Disney Plus series um, at all? The the Marvel series on Disney Plus. You know, I have it, and I need to. I've just been so busy, but I need to sit down and start watching some of them. Um, well, and, and there's so much too. I mean, that's I know there's so much. Yeah, one of Marvel's issues lately is is in some ways too much, and I think Bob Iger is correcting some of that, if I've heard correctly. Um, but there was a, a series recently called Ms. Marvel. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is a character I really wasn't familiar with from the comics. I'd, I'd heard of her, but really knew nothing about her. Um, she's going to be in the new Marvel's movie mm-hmm. um, alongside characters from WandaVision and, and Captain Marvel. Uh, and it was, it was good. I would you know encourage viewers to, to check it out. But what I did think was interesting in that is it, it was a character that um, – there was a show that portrayed – um, practicing Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. People worshiping, people talking about their faith at home, people inside a mosque doing religious stuff. I I can't think of that, of uh, an example of that from, let's say, recent comic book films and TV shows where you see that even a Jewish or Christian point of view, really, maybe the, all right, maybe the exception to that What's yours? I bet we have the same one. I was going to say Daredevil. Yeah, that was, I was just, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now his was pretty tortured, yes. but he is clearly a, a practicing Catholic. Catholic. Um, and that obviously goes back a long ways in the, in the comics. There's, there's a mm-hmm. lot there. Um, but that's about the only one I can think of. You know, there's a, there's an odd reference in the, one of the, I think the early Avengers film, um, where Steve says there's only one God, ma'am, and he doesn't look like that. I think in reference to Loki or something. Mm-hmm. There's we don't see you know for all the spiritual themes, and this maybe says something about our age. For all the spiritual themes we see and theological themes, we don't see a lot of practicing religious people. And mm. I, I suspect that says a lot about the social location of the writers and directors of these projects. Hmm. Hmm. I think you're right. 
because we don't, I cannot think of very many other um, actual practicing characters that just don't see them. Yeah. There's, I guess there's religious stuff to some extent in Black Panther. A lot of that's, you know, more, you know, more, more fictional, but in terms of, you know, your run of the mill synagogue, you know, first Lutheran church, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's not a lot. And I think that speaks to, you know, the conditions of, of late modernity. I do think going back to the question of value, I've been engaging a lot of secondary literature on Charles Taylor lately. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar yeah. with Taylor's stuff at all? Yeah. Secular age. So I read um, Jamie Smith's book on a secular age. That's helpful. And then I'm starting this uh, Andrew Root series of books. I'm really big into Andrew Root right now. So, (laughs) yes. (laughs) It's so good, right? And he has lots of culture references. (laughs) Well, well, that's also one of the reasons he's a big draw. It's just like, yeah. But yeah, he's kind of, I've read a few of his books and they're just kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Um, I've only listened to the the one on faith formation in the secular age. I think. Okay. No, the pastor, right? The, the pastor. Pastor. But okay. I plan to read all of them. They're, they're great. So and you've, you may, may know this better than me, but I think part of the value maybe for the church, for Christianity and, and, and all that we're talking about is since these themes are in this popular literature, popular movies and TV, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's evidence of what Taylor and others talk about, we are in the secular age, but it's it's porous. It's contested space. And if mm-hmm. if people are finding resonance with these themes and movies and stuff, then we are not in a hard, as hard a secular age. You know, that that shell is not as unbreakable as we suspect it is. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yep. Yeah. You know, I think to borrow some of what I've read from Andrew, Andrew Root about this is that, you know, we live in the imminent frame, but there it is. You can still see shafts of light from the transcendence. Yeah, yeah, holes. yeah it's porous. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think you do see that in these movies. I think even though they may not have church going or mosque going folk, um, there is something there that that these movies are speaking to. Yeah. Um, you could but, say, I mean, Mandalorian right now, and you could say, like, why is it resonating with people? Well, people want a way of life. Maybe people want a creed that they can believe in. Maybe people want redemption, right? Like, they, like all you could, you know, kind of go down the list with, with a lot of these properties and sort of, you know, like, um, you know, Paul, the Oropagus, right? I mm-hmm. see that you're very religious. Let me tell you what it's all about. I, I think there's mm-hmm. an opportunity there. And that's why I think as pastors, um, as the church should take popular culture seriously, because, It'll tell us something about the longings um, and of our of the people that we are trying to reach and the people that we serve, um, and, and maybe provide us some avenues of approach uh, mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, and I, you know, I also think it's because I, even if people don't, the, the writers may not have a, a religious background. They're human. There is a sense of a longing. You know, it's that kind of the what the, the God God shaped hole that yeah. is is there that is going to be found in these stories that you know we should be attentive to and picking up what is being said here. For sure, for sure. One, um, just as we kind of wrap things up, I wanted to one other thing that that has been fascinating is that have you ever followed anything like the the um, Avatar, The Last Airbender type thing. Or that No, um, I've always heard great things. Because um, mm-hmm. is that more of an anime? Um, it's somewhat anime. Um, it, it draws a lot from that. Yeah, um, I've always heard good things. I, is it the, the movie that they did was pretty bad, but the series the movie, is great? Is that yeah, the, the series, um, the two series that they did were great. They're, I think... Are working on a new live action one on Netflix that hopefully yeah. will be good, but it does, um, you know, the whole concept there is very much spirituality. Um, it comes, I mean, I think they're coming at it in some ways from a more Eastern 
um, uh-huh. standpoint in some ways. Um, but it's just fascinating how they kind of talk about that and talk about, um, you know, what does it mean to kind of have this faith and, and, you know, using the whole concept of the bending, um, whether it's the earth bending or fire bending, you know, what does that all mean? And, and, you know, it does kind of deal with some, I would say it's more historical issues. Um, Mm. You know, the, um, the first series, the last airbender deals a lot with, I think, um, one of the kingdoms, the firebending one, is more related to Japan. So it's kind of Japanese expansionism. Uh, okay. Um, where the Earth Kingdom is the China. Um, and so they're kind of dealing with a, a one that's very controlling, but also somewhat decrepit um, and corrupt. And all of the kind of concepts in there are just fascinating. So I think if you ever have the chance to watch it, um, do I'll have to make, uh, make time for that at, yeah. at some point. Uh, and it's also a graph in graphic novels as well. Oh, so okay. They, yeah. Good to know. That's cool. I've been watching um, on HBO Max. It has a lot of the DC content, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching with I have a three-year-old daughter, uh, infant son. He's too young. But my, my three-year-old, um, I've gotten her into the, the Teen Titans Go, which is the – Oh, yeah. It's, it's so fun because they – there's all sorts of stuff in there that if you're a fan of the comics and know the movies, there's little, you know, little things. It's, it's great. Uh, especially in the awesome. movies, there's lots of references to other, other stuff. It's lots of fun. Okay. Well, you, um, are there some books that you would want to recommend to folk if they want yeah. to know a little bit more? Yeah. On these, on these themes, so I'll recommend a book and I'll recommend some, some comics since we're, uh, since we're talking about that, but um, on the theme kind of overall of how does, comic books and sort of religious mythology all connect kind of a classic book is uh, Grant Morrison's super gods. Hmm. Grant Morrison's very you know, famous comic writer. One of the best. Um, his stuff is really, really good. Um, this is a uh, kind of required reading, uh, really strong, interesting stuff. Um, Morrison's really, really cool. Um, the class that I taught on pop culture and theology, these are the, the textbooks we use. And I picked them because of the theological themes. Um, this one's kind of obvious. Watchmen, mm-hmm. right? If I would say everyone should read Watchmen. It was it was on the Time 100 best novels of the 20th century list. I mean, it's mm. hugely important. Alan Moore. Um, the movie was okay. The series on HBO was pretty good, but mm-hmm. the series used this as sort of its historical background. Okay. Um, not characters people are familiar with. Um, uh, similarities to some, but a, a, an amazing, very deep. Very heavy uh, story. Uh, so definitely uh, Watchmen, really strong themes about theodicy in there. Um, really, really, really cool. Um, have you, did you watch the series at all on HBO? No, okay. I don't have it. Um, though I have HBO Max, so I should actually check and see if it's, it's out there now. What's cool about the show is in, in the way that the kind of the culture, the social backdrop of watch of the, of the graphic novel was 1980s Cold War politics, uh, nuclear fears. The the series makes its social political background uh, racial tensions, racial um, tensions yeah. in, in the U.S. Um, in, a, in a really br- brilliant and relevant way. Um, one of the episodes takes place around the um, uh, the Tulsa race massacre, for instance, stuff like that. So very very relevant. So I would definitely read the graphic novel first, but that show is is well worth watching. Um, another one our class did was, it's kind of hard to read on this, but it's called The Other History of the DC Universe. Um, the uh, What's his name? The writer of this is John Ridley. Uh, Ridley okay. is the guy who I believe he wrote 12 Years a Slave. He's a screenwriter. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Predominantly. Um, mm-hmm. And this is basically the story of the DC Universe told from the perspective of marginalized characters. Um, mm. uh Black Lightning, uh, people of color, mm-hmm. LGBT, uh, Montoya, um, a lesbian a detective who becomes um, the question. The question. Thank you. Um, uh, Katana. Sorry. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, also a pretty heavy read, pretty like verbose, uh, deep read, but, but very good. 
Um, that again, one I'll have to have to read because I'm I'm always fascinated about the the kind of history of especially persons of color when it comes up. And, yeah, and, and this one is cool because there's a lot of like um, <laughs> I'm a big Superman fan, and a lot of these it's like well everyone loves you know the white guy wearing patriotic colors they don't love us uh, but it's it's very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, Kingdom Come. This is kind of a special edition of Kingdom Come. Um, Kingdom Come was a, a one-off, beautifully illustrated by Alex Ross. It's all painted. Um, a story about sort of a post-apocalyptic future. The big DC heroes have all gone into retirement. Superman is kind of like depressed and isolated. Um, but it's uh, the narrator is an old Presbyterian minister. Um, and it's loosely based on the book of revelation. Uh, it's really, really cool. If you've never read it, it's an awesome story. Um, Watchmen and kingdom come are often on like top 10 lists, top five lists of best graphic novels of all time. Um, kingdom come is great. It's, it's over 10 years old, but it still holds up uh, very, very well. Last one. Now this is a, a rare one for me that is not DC or Marvel, but it's one that I just came across and had to buy. It's called Judas. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, I, I think I just came across this on like Amazon. Um, the, the, the art is really well done. Um, now there's, there's questionable uh, theology in this, I would say, but it does make you think it's a really well written story, beautifully uh, illustrated. Give you a better, better look at that cover. Um, again, theology is not great, but it's a fascinating look at Judas um, that's Boom Studios if you're looking for it. That's again just one more. Anyway, just a few recommendations uh, from the Peanut Gallery here. But um, okay. But uh, yeah, thanks for letting me share those. It's fun to to talk about this stuff. And uh, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, if people want to follow you, um, where can they follow you like on social media? Yeah, I'm, uh, Twitter is probably what I use the most, uh, for better or for worse, um, at Drew B. <laughs> McIntyre. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well. I don't do Instagram as much. Um, you can find my email probably pretty easily. Um, check out the Pop Culture, and Re- Pop Culture and Theology series from Lexington and Fortress. I've got a, a chapter on Batman, um, the Nightfall Saga, and Sabbath in that okay. volume. I've got a chapter on the Night's Watch and Ecclesiology in the Game of Thrones volume. Uh, and if you have access to the Wesleyan Theological Journal, I've got a piece on Superman and the canon of the New Testament. Um, and hopefully something on Moon Knight and Methodist stuff coming out in the next year or so. But uh, that was a paper I did recently. But it's always fun to talk about. You know, this, this stuff is fun. Uh, always fun to talk about it. You know, the, the Venn diagram people that know like theology and church stuff. And this hardcore nerd stuff, not a lot of crossover. In not a whole lot, but <laughs> it's nice to be able to have that the fun chat with you today. Well, I'm glad I was able to provide that. So, <laughs> Drew, thank you for 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 this really great and I think enlightening conversation. Always happy to talk nerd stuff. Thanks so much, Dennis. Have a good one. <laughs> All right, take care. that you enjoyed the episode um, and hope you found it enlightening as well as entertaining. Um, and we'll probably have Drew back probably at this time on a, on a more serious note, but it's nice to have an episode where it's not always so heavy hitting. Uh, just a few uh, kind of housekeeping notes. Um, first thing is that um, if you don't know, and uh, YouTube has YouTube has always been kind of a place where people can put their podcasts and have for years, but they've actually now have a dedicated um, site for podcasts. And so I've started putting up some episodes on there. So if you uh, type in church in Maine, um, you should find the podcasts 
episodes. It's not all of them, and it probably won't be all of them, but um, I'm slowly but surely putting some up there. And um, so uh, if you go to youtube.com backslash podcasts, um, you will find all the uh, podcasts that are out there. And then just type in Church in Maine, and you will find us. Um, also, you can consider um, subscribing to our Substack. Um, that is at, um, you'll also find all of our episodes there, but also um, articles that I've written. And that will be, you can find that at churchandmain.substack.com. And I also have another website, uh, churchandmain.org, um, that you can also subscribe at. And at both sites, you can also, if you want, uh, make a donation. Um, you can also um, become a paid subscriber. Um, and that is uh, for five bucks a month or for $60 a year. Um, that helps to defray some of the costs and continue to put some really, um, to put some, I think, great material out there. So um, if you have any questions, um, comments, uh, feel free to leave them on the Substack, but you can also send me an email at uh, churchandmain at substack.com. And Church and Maine is all one word. So that is it for this episode. It is episode 134 of Church in Maine, and I will see you soon. Uh, my name is Dennis Sanders. Take care. Godspeed. And again, I'll see you very soon. Mm-hmm.